in case you're not on the weekly email or the all church email, uh, one of our members of our congregation who's been around our community since 1985, around our faith community and our group, and that's Larry Messick. He passed away this week uh, after a, a battle with cancer, and I know many of us were praying for him, many of us were believing for healing, and it's always hard because you, you want to see people healed, and yet I was having a conversation with his wife. None of us are making it out of this world alive. You know, that was our conversation on Friday, the day he passed away. We're all going to go at some point. And, you know, she pointed, she pointed out to me, he lived a great life. He had great kids, great grandkids. They, he served the church faithfully for years. Many of you know that he played our Santa for a decade he was Santa for our Christmas events, not just for our church, but around the community. And um, his wife, Sally, is, I'm sure, in mourning and in grief and in pain. And so I would encourage you to reach out to her this week. Some of you are probably very saddened because you've known Larry for as long as you've been in the church. And he wasn't a guy that you could miss either. That's the other thing. It wasn't like, oh, he sat quietly at a table in the back. Like, he was just in everybody's business. And um, I got to be with him a little bit on Friday morning, and I was reading some psalms to him. And uh, his son came in, and I was just having a conversation with his son. And his son said something like, oh, he'd really appreciate you reading to him. And I said, he'd probably appreciate more if I was just joking around and making fun of him. And his son said, probably. (laughs) But for those of you who knew Larry, um, you know, know that my heart goes out to you as well. Uh, if you have an opportunity, drop a note, stop by and see Sally. Remember, she's still there. And um, as we had the conversation on Friday, this life is for living. None of us are making it out of alive. So let's really live and fully appreciate what we have while we're here. So if you guys could just extend love and grace to that family. His uh, memorial will be August 18th. We don't have all the details yet, but we're looking at the morning around 11 a.m. and um, and details are still coming together. If you're on the All Church email, you'll uh, get a, an email blast the week before, as well as probably when we have all the details, so we'll send out a couple notices. So just know that that's coming up on August 18th. If you've got your Bible today, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 5. Talking on obedience. Somebody asked me, um, when I announced, it was before I even did the first week, but why, why are you talking about obedience? Do you think we're a disobedient group? And I said, I think humanity is disobedient by our very nature. Now, sometimes disobedience is just going against what the crowd wants, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. And we're actually going to talk about that um, in about three weeks. We're going to talk about the fact that sometimes the very nature of your Christianity and of your faith calls you to disobey what the world says. But right now, we're not to that point yet, so you're going to have to hold on and wait for that. We're talking about the fact that there's a, there's a cost to, diso- to obedience. There's a cost to obedience. If, if we're going to obey what God says, it's going to cost us something. From the very beginning, it was designed that you follow me, you can touch any tree except for that one. There was a cost. And from the very beginning, man can't deal with not getting everything he wants. 
If you don't believe that humanity is spoiled, just go and spend a day with a two-year-old. I love kids. Those of you who know me know I love toddlers. I love kids. I love kids as they're exploring and discovering the world. And I love, you know, when we have um, little kids over at our house or recently we spent some time with uh, some twins that are almost two and they continue to, like, they were digging through Tracy's purse. They were, it was great. I loved it. Didn't bother me at all. Go ahead, look in there, see what's in there. Um, They're opening cabinets, they're doing everything they can and they're not being, they're just trying to discover the world. And I think sometimes that's where we are. But as soon as you put a boundary on them, as soon as you say you can't do this, then suddenly that's all they want to do. They're obsessed with it. That's all they care about. They're human, just like you and me, and that's sometimes the way we get to. It's whatever we're told we can't do. It's the do not walk on the grass, and so you have to do this. I'm not walking on it. I'm not walking on it. I'm not walking on it. That's what we do as humans. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't want to pay a price. Joshua chapter 5. Now, this is going to make some of you uncomfortable, which I enjoy. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives for yourselves and circumcise the sons of Israel again the second time. Always a great way to start a church service, by the way. So Joshua made flint knives for himself and circumcised the sons of Israel at the hill of the foreskins. Great name. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt who were males, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on their way after they had come out of Egypt. For all the people who had come out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness on the way as they were, came out of Egypt, had not been circumcised. We're at verse 6. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness till all the people who were men of war who came out of Egypt were consumed because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. Oh, wow, that's painful, isn't it? Thinking about the fact that God has, there's a cost for obedience. To whom the Lord swore that he would not show them the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers that he would give us a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Joshua circumcised their sons, whom he had raised up in their place, for they were uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. Just repeating what it already said earlier. I'm not like in a loop in case you thought I was. So it was when they had finished and all the people that had stayed in their places at the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, this day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of this place shall be called Gilgal, and it is to this day. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains, on the plains of Jericho. And they ate of all the produce of the land on that day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land, And the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. All right. There's a lot in there. And if you know how to dissect it, you know that that's an entire series in itself. It really is. There's just a lot right in there that we have to try to pull apart and see what is God saying. But here's a few things that the text says to us. God had a plan all along. He never didn't know what to do. 
They come out of Egypt where they're slaves. They go into the wilderness. He parts the Red Sea for them. He takes them right up to the the edge, the river, and they send the spies in, and they come back, and they're overwhelmed, and only two spies come back and say, we can do this. God has given us this land. The other ten say, they're too big. We'll all die. So Moses leads them for the next 40 years until Moses is dead, and Joshua, one of the two spies who said, we can do this, One of the two says, let's go. We've got this. Now he's the leader of the people. And he goes, but before we go in, there's one more thing. And he tells them they have to be circumcised. And they're probably at first like, oh, what is this crazy ritual you want us to do? And then they're like, wait, you've got to be kidding, right? Because these are not babies. Normally babies are circumcised in the hospital. These are grown men who are like, wait, we're about to go fight a war and you want to do what? He's like, yep, this is what we have to do. So they agree, they get circumcised, and now, after they rest, it tells us that, they go to the edge of the river, and they get ready to go to battle. If you recall earlier in the story, God has sent them manna because they needed some form of food. And it says, on the day that they ate of the food of Canaan, the day that they ate, the manna ceased. I'm going to talk about that in just a moment also. But basically, from the very beginning, God had a plan. From the very beginning, God has had a plan for the people and for redemption. He was not shocked. He was not stunned. He wasn't perplexed when man sinned because he understood, I'm creating a being with free will. Thereby, by the very nature of it, free will means you and I both have a choice to sin. And even though we've been redeemed, and even though I'm telling you, you don't lose your salvation accidentally, I talked about that last week. Tracy said, you're really going to get emails this week because you pushed both all the Calvinists and all the Armenians. You got everybody. And I was like, yeah, I expect to. Not a single email. So everybody must have been cool with it. You don't lose your sin accidentally, but he never takes away free will. If you have free will, then you can choose to go and sin today. Or you can choose to go and follow God with all that you are, with all that is in you. And all that he's creating you to be can choose to become like him by that same model, that same choice. That same thing is we can choose to be like God. To emulate him, to understand him, to not just copy what he does, but to become like him. It's not the same as a copy. I copy things, and there's going to be imperfections. My dad used to work uh, for a bank. He actually um, was offered a job with the Federal Reserve, or actually offered a job with the Secret Service because he was so good at finding counterfeit bills. He found over 100, I think he found 125, 127 counterfeit bills in the time that he worked at the bank because nothing is perfect. And so he would stack the money, and he'd go through anywhere between about 900,000 and 1.4 million a night Because it was pre, now they use electronic laser scanners, but it was all done by hand and by eye. And it was locked in a private vault underneath the ground, about three levels underground. And he would go through all the cash deposits that came in that were 20s, 50s, and 100s, didn't deal with 1s, 5s, and 10s. And he'd go through the bills by hand, and he would find these counterfeit bills. And he'd pull them out. And they'd note who made the deposit and what day and what register because everything was wrapped in a tape so that they could track it back to see if somebody was intentionally taking men. And they'd do these things because they're very similar. They're very close. Somebody took them, but they weren't real. 
The difference is when we choose to become like God, we become real in who we are and who we were created to be. When we decide we're going to put on an act and copy God, that's not the same. I've known people who for years were really good at looking the right Christian part, but something in their heart wasn't there. I've not even known people that you look at from the outside and you go, well, they're not. They can't possibly be a Christian. But their heart was passionate in pursuing God. I think David said, or it was said about David best by Samuel when it says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So here we see Joshua with telling people, God has a plan for us. When we fail to follow God's plan, there's a cost. It cost him 40 years, and all the men that left Egypt that were of age that should have gone into battle, they all die off, except for Joshua and Caleb, because the two of them said, we should do this. We should go in. However, we also have to remember, even though there's a cost, that's not a perfect permanent separation. He hasn't severed relationship with you because there's a cost. He keeps relationship with them. The whole time they're in the wilderness, he's providing them food. The whole time in the wilderness, he's taking them to streams. The whole time in the wilderness, he tells them when to move and when to stay. So there's a cost. They don't have the promised land, but God doesn't sever that relationship. He looks at you when you sin, and he doesn't say, I'm right now, that's it. I'm done with you. You've sinned too many times. He looks at you and he says, come back to me. Come back to me. Come back to me. And he's calling each of us back to him all the time, every day, every moment. He knows who we are, and he's calling us, come back to me. Come back to me. He looks at you, and he sees you, and he loves you so deeply that he's calling, come back to me. Yes, there's a cost. There's a cost for the disobedience, but he's looking at you, and it's not a severed, ended relationship. The next generation then recognizes the value of obeying God and they reap the reward that God had for them all along. Those who follow the path that God has for them don't have to pay with 40 years in the wilderness. But even if we pay with that 40 years, the reward is still there. The blessing is still there. God's presence is still there. He still wants that relationship with you. They had to prepare themselves to go into the land The preparation is the hard part. The preparation for us is oftentimes the hard part. I'm trying to learn Spanish. Anybody ever learned a foreign language? It's completely foreign to me. That's all I can say. (laughs) I have been working and working and working. And I get to the point where I have some vocabulary words, and then they want me to put them in a sentence structure. And now I'm working on, like, past perfect sentence structure. Future infinitive sentence structure. No, no, I'm not. I am not going to go there someday. I'm going to say three words. Going there. That's, or two words. The preparation is oftentimes what stops us. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, but it's going to involve you doing something. It's going to involve something on your part. You have to be prepared. You know why I read Scripture? This is honestly, yes, I want God to speak to me, but do you know why? Because there's going to be circumstances in my life and I don't know what I'm going to face. I don't know what I'm going to face next month, next week, next year. I don't know what disease I'm going to face. I don't know what tragedy I'm going to face. I don't even know what good times I'm going to face. But I'm going to face things in my life. 
And I need to know and be prepared and know that God has something for me. And I know that because I know who he is. And I know who he is because I know what he said. I don't read scripture because, oh, I've got to preach a sermon next week. If I view it as a textbook, I'm good. If I view it as something that's life-giving, it becomes something I need to go back to over and over and over again. Be prepared. Prepare your hearts because God has something for you and obedience is going to be rewarded, but we have to prepare. So they prepare themselves to go into the land and then here's my favorite part of the whole thing I read and that's verse 12. Then the manna ceased on that day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. The manna doesn't cease because they disobeyed. The manna ceased because they finally obeyed and they did what they were called to do. My daughter graduated college, has a job. She gets her first paycheck in a couple of weeks. I was helping her fill out some financial paperwork and, and do some stuff like that. She's a teacher, a school teacher in Las Vegas. And for the first time, in 10 years, I no longer pay her cell phone bill. And I don't not pay her cell phone bill because I don't love her anymore. I'm not paying her cell phone bill because I raised her to send her out to be independent. I made her last car insurance payment in June, and she paid her own car insurance. And her only comment was, man, that's really expensive. And I said, yeah, I know. I've been doing this six years now, kid. I know. I don't do that because I'm a mean dad. I do that because as a father, my goal since she was an infant was to raise her to be independent and go out there on her own. I don't release her out there because I don't like her. I do it because I love her so deeply. I know God has something greater for her than staying and living at my house and me just protecting her. Do I get worried sometimes? Absolutely. But do I know that she's in God's hands? Yes. I don't know that you quit parenting just because your kid turns 18. At least I haven't. I still call, advise, talk, ask her questions. I don't think that's me being a bad parent or even an overprotective parent. I think it's me still preparing her and equipping her for a world that she's, not, that she's trying to learn how to navigate through. She had some problems with the DMV and getting her car license. And I said, yeah, being an adult's hard, huh? She goes, it's not fair. And I was like, welcome. Do we really need to go into this? I've been telling you life's not fair for 21 years since you could understand me. The world's trying to kill you, kid. Just fight as hard as you can and don't let them take you down easy. God's looking at you and saying, there's things he's going to pull back, not because he doesn't love you, because he loves you so much and wants the best for you and wants you to learn not to do it on your own but to understand there's something greater for you. That land flowing with milk and honey, that promised land, that place was good. And now that you're here, I don't have to do that for you anymore. There wasn't any violation of the rules. There was no disobedience. It was because he had taken them and said, here it is, go and inhabit it. And they finally did it. Let's celebrate and walk in those things where God has walked you to it 
and walked you through it and said, here, go, be free and celebrate. Be free of that thing that holds you back. You don't have to be held back by that legalism anymore. You don't have to be held back by the word that somebody spoke to you in passing that was destructive anymore. You don't have to be held back by what was done to you. And I'm not saying that that the, the, the abuse wasn't painful. What I'm saying is you can be free from it. Don't allow that to hold you back anymore. And don't think it means God doesn't love you because he's saying, let's move on from that. He loves you so much, he wants to see you free from that. He loves you so deeply, he wants you to walk out. I've known a few people that have been in prison before, and none of them, on the day they were released, none that I know of anyway, said, yeah, I think I'll just stay here for a few more days. They open the doors, and they walk out. And I was talking to my friend Calvin one time, and he said, the day they opened that door, they said, you'll be back. And he said, no, I won't. And he never went back. And we talked about that, how the first half of his life, the first 35 years of his life, between juvenile detention and adult prison, he spent more than half of his life when he'd gotten out at age 35. But then when he walked out and he got connected with who God was and it changed who he was, he never had to walk back in and he was never a prisoner to anything again. God's looking at you and saying, when you learn to obey me, you don't have to be stuck by that. I'm not saying it's easy. Addiction is hard to beat. Recovering from abuse can take years. Recovering from things that have been done to you and the way you've been violated can take months, years, lifetimes. But don't allow them to hold you prisoner. Don't allow that to hold you prisoner. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be easy because that would be a lie. I'm not going to tell you it's not real, because that would be a lie. But I'm going to tell you, you can be free. You can be free. So here's a few things the text doesn't tell us. It doesn't say that God no longer loves his people or rejected them. Because he sent them into the wilderness was not because he rejected them or didn't love them. It's because they didn't want to go in. What's ironic or interesting or It never says how long they have to walk in the desert. It says they wait until the last people are dead. But it doesn't say, God doesn't say, now you shall go here for 40 years. It says, I'll lead you. And he leads them in circles. If you read where they went, basically, they do great big giant laps around the desert as a nomadic people. Some people that are more like, uh, not necessarily trusting the whole picture of God say, well, what they were doing was they were following the rain. They were following, they were going oasis to oasis. And then when that one would dry up, they'd go to the next one. Okay, that's fine in theory. Maybe that's what God was doing. I don't know. Here's what I know. So God told them when to go. God told them when to stay. They certainly didn't know weather patterns. They couldn't look at the daily five-day forecast and say, oh, we should head south now. What they could do is say, let's follow what God has called us to do. The text never tells us that it was perfect or easy. We see over and over and over again they fail. And we see over and over and over again God's grace extended to them. There's one part where they say, we hate the manna, so God sends quail. Then they complain that the quail is rotting. Oy vey. That's probably what God was saying. What do you want me to do, people? I literally send food from the sky and you don't like that. So I send different food, and you complain about that. 
I think we do the same thing. We say, God, if only you would do this, if only you would do this, if only you would do this. And then when God does it, we go, well, yeah, but that's not how I thought you'd do it, God. That's not what I thought you were going to do. It's the old story of the flood coming and the guy up on his roof praying and a canoe comes by and says, get in. And he goes, no, God's going to save me. A little while later, a speedboat comes by, get in. And he goes, no, 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 God's going to save me. A little while later, a helicopter comes by and he goes, no, God's going to save me. The guy dies. He's standing before God. He goes, why didn't you save me? He said, I sent a canoe, a speedboat, and a helicopter. What did you want me to do? I think the same thing. It's an old joke, I know. But it's the same thing that happens with us. We go, God, save me. Well, I don't like that. And it's the same thing I've said about church. Again, I'm not saying you got to follow me blindly as a leader. Please don't. But people will leave the church and say, oh, was there, was there a problem? Well, this. And I'm like, oh. So in other words, you're never going to be satisfied because the reasons you're leaving are reasons that you're going to just keep chasing. And that makes me sad for you because if you're looking for that perfect church, you're just going to keep searching. There's always someone who's going to fail you. It's always going to be too hot, too cold, too loud, too crowded, not enough people, too many people, not a good enough kids program, too many kids. All of those, literally all of those are reasons I've heard for people leaving a church. And you just go, what is wrong with you people? You're a bunch of idiots. And then you go, yeah, I guess they are because we all are because that's what pretty much God is saying. Come on, people. (laughs) Obedience has a cost. So how does this apply to you and I today? Number one, God has a plan for your life. Don't forget that. In the midst of the dark troubling times. God has a plan for your life. Say this to yourself repeatedly. I say it to you on a regular basis. But God has a plan for your life. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but just think for a moment. How many of you think back maybe 20, 25 years ago and think, I never thought God would have me where I am today? Just think about that. Where God has brought, think about what God has brought you through. I think about the things that God has walked us through in life in the last 25 years. I've dealt with so much that I can't even go into it all, but death of a child, family members in prison, family members getting divorced. Tracy and I going through immense times. Me going through a long series of depression and then a long period of counseling. All these things that I look at, and I look and I think, if you'd asked me when I was 16, 18, I never would have thought I would have faced any of them. And if you ask me now, I don't know how I made it through those times. Other than this, God was there each step of the way. Because God had a plan for my life. And I look at you and tell you, God has a plan for your life. And it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be times of depression and times of loneliness and times when it's hard and times where your kids go off the rails and times where your marriage is difficult and all of these things. And yet, it no less means that God has a plan for your life. I was talking with my mom recently about worrying, like how we worry about our kids. And she goes, oh, you should. She goes, I still worry about you. I go, yeah, but you don't need to, Mom. She goes, well, that's nothing. She goes, the amount I worry about the grandkids, and I can really do nothing about them. I'm like, okay. So it doesn't stop. And we're not people that just sit and worry all the time. 
But my mom is a person who will pray all the time. God has a plan for your life, and you're going to face difficult circumstances. But no, that doesn't mean he's not with you. It doesn't mean he's disappointed in you. It doesn't mean you failed him. And I've heard people say, well, you failed God to somebody. And I always want to say that's not true. Your sin is not a failure. Your inability to do something is not a failure. God doesn't look at you as a failure. No matter what you've done and screwed up, you're not a failure. It was a bump in the road. And guess what? God still has a plan for your life. Say it to yourself. Learn to believe it. Second way this applies is obedience is never easy. But that doesn't mean it's not critical to our spiritual growth. When I face a difficult circumstance, I say, God, what do you want me to do? And then the second question I always ask is, God, how can I possibly do it? What do you want me to do, God? And how can I, who can't even get my act together, how can I possibly do this? God wants you in community with other believers. God wants you to be faithful to what you've been called to. If you don't know what that is, I'm glad to sit down and let's talk about life and let's talk about your giftings and your talents and your skills and what God has given to you and how he has something for you. And finally, remember, to obey is better than sacrifice. Like we read last week, it's not about asking forgiveness. It's about living a life that does not continually require you to seek forgiveness. You're never going to be sinless but are we making progress in those areas that continue to trap us? The areas that Paul says, it so easily ensnares me. It so easily catches me. Am I making progress on that? Because the things I struggle with today are not the same things I struggled with 10 years ago. They're not the same things I struggled with 20 years ago. They're different struggles, but they're very real. But one of my favorite passages of Scripture, as you said, When I was a child, I thought as a child. I spoke as a child. I acted as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. It doesn't mean I don't have fun anymore. It means I don't struggle with the same sin I used to because God is taking me to a new place. And if you're not sure of where your growth pattern is, start writing down. Be bold enough to, in your journal, write down what you're struggling with, emotionally, spiritually, and sin-wise. And then read that a year from now, two years from now, three years from now, and just keep going. And talk about, write in your journal about the things that you've seen and the things you've overcome. And suddenly, I have a a line of where I was to who I am, but also even more beautiful, who he's shaping me into, who I'm becoming, and how I'm becoming more like him. Father God, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you, God, for our community of believers. God, for those who are mourning today, mourning the loss of Larry, mourning the loss of a friend, mourning the loss of a family member. God, for those who are struggling in their marriages today, God, for those who are struggling with their kids today, I pray for your Holy Spirit to bring comfort and peace and to let them know they have not failed, that they are not a failure, but that you are still in the midst of those, that you're going to help see them through. God, I pray that we would know your presence and see your presence. God, I pray that we would see and understand you more and more. Make yourself into a more clear picture of what you have for us. I thank you and I praise you for all that you're doing in us and through us as a congregation. In your name, amen.
Next week is our annual meeting. Um, I don't like to call it the business meeting. I don't like to call it a members meeting. I like to just think of it as an annual update. We'll talk about our finances, where we are, and where we're coming up short. We'll talk about kind of some vision and direction of what we want to see as a church. Um, I'm not going to hit you up hard to give more, but I will be honest and tell you where we're at and tell you what we need to do. So if this is your church, you don't have to be a member. You just you say, yeah, this is my church. It'll be next week, right after service. We'll have somebody out on the playground to watch kids. And so if you have younger kids, you go, you pick them up, take them out there, have a snack, grab a cup of coffee, come back in. Meeting won't be more, unless you guys have a lot of questions, won't be more than about 45 minutes. So I hope that you'll join us and um, know that we want you because I want you to know where we are. It's, it's the whole open books. I want you to know where we are in everything that we do. So, all right. Hope to see you next week. Have a great week.